Amen. It's good to see you all. I'm glad that you're here in the house of the Lord today. And uh, happy Father's Day, Dad. We're glad that you're here worshiping the Lord. We need more dads worshiping the Lord. You know, it was that radically famous poet named Anonymous. He pins some penetrating lines for dads today. He says, I may never be as clever as my neighbor down the street. I may never be as wealthy as some other men that I meet. I may never have the glory that some other men have had. But I have got to give my best as my little child's dad. I mean, truly, that is an important role that you have, dad is being the dad of that little one, being that dad of that grown one, and, and, and hanging in there. So, Dad, happy Father's Day. We're glad that you're here. You know, as I'm getting older myself, I, I find myself groaning much more, you know? I mean, you, you groan uh, when you stand up after you've been sitting a while. Uh, I groan when I sit after I've been standing a while. I groan in the morning, I groan at night, I groan after I've eaten too much. I groan when I see certain things on television. I groan when I get another bill in the mail. And when I don't feel like I have enough time to get everything finished, sometimes I groan. And you know, groaning is part of our life. It it just seems like that's what we do, we groan through life. But uh, I want to read, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, and um, we're going to continue on in this wonderful chapter. I'm going to be beginning in verse 18 and reading down through verse 25, so it's a few verses here. And um, I want to pray for us, and then I want to read that passage, and then we'll talk about it. But let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, and I thank you that we can study your word together. Uh, Father, truly you are the perfect Father. And uh, you love us, you've you've loved us, uh, you created us, um, you made a way for life, you've made uh, made a way for us in life, you've made a way for us in eternal life through your son Jesus. What a blessing your son Jesus is to each one of us. And uh, Father, we're thankful also for the Holy Spirit, uh, who is our teacher and our guide and, and leads us into all truth. Uh, convicts our hearts when we're not doing right. But, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill this place and it would fill our hearts as we read his words, your words. Uh, I pray, Father, that you would bless our time together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, the, the word groan, the reason I started out with that is that it's mentioned three times in these verses. Uh, that I just talked about, and, and down through verse 26. But uh, we're told that the, the, the creation groans, uh, all of creation groans. We're told the, the, the Christians we groan and the Holy Spirit uh, within us groans. And so I, I want to look at that for a whole minute here. Let's read this. Um, <clears throat> Romans 8, verse 18 and following, God's Word says this. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in, to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. 
Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Now I want to put this passage in its, in its proper context here. Verse 17 and 18 it says, And if children then were heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be also glorified with him, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us, to us, excuse me. You see, Paul's been talking about the the rich privilege that is ours in Christ. The fact that we are heirs, heirs of God, heirs, co-heirs with Jesus, and and, and heirs of of the kingdom of heaven. And and, and however, during these blessings, there is also the reality that, that we understand of suffering. We're down here in this place below and 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 we deal with suffering. Not only is there the the natural human suffering of getting older. But there's also the debilitating of of various diseases that we have, things that invade our body, things that happen, as as well as going through difficult transitions in life. You know, there's so many different difficult situations that come up. There's also the suffering that comes to us because we are a follower of Jesus Christ. See, there is a cost. There is a cost that comes with following Jesus. And it's important that we face these times head on. I mean, make no mistake about it. The Bible never tells us that when we come to Jesus Christ, that all of our problems will go away. That's not promised. He says, if we suffer with him, then we will also be glorified with him. And so suffering is a part of what we do. We will be set free from the condemnation of sin. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now therefore no condemnation. Okay? So it says that in verse 1 of this chapter. We will be set free from the condemnation of sin and made new in Christ. But we will also be people who are going against the culture of the world. We need to hear that. As believers in Jesus Christ, this world is not our home. We are following Christ. He is the one leading the way. He is the one blazing the trail for us towards God, towards heaven. And so we are not of this world. And if we stand for Jesus Christ, then we are going to be against the culture of our world. You know it and I know it. We see it every day. We may not be imprisoned or executed like Christ followers maybe in some other countries. 
But we will face ridicule. We will face rejection from many in our own country, in our own homes. So how do we stand in such times as this? I mean, Paul tells us, he tells us, he says, look to the future. Stop, stop focusing on this and start focusing on this. Look to the future. Look at what is coming. He he doesn't tell us that that for everything you suffer, there's going to be an equal blessing in heaven. Paul tells us that the blessings are so much greater than the suffering that we go through here that it's not even worth trying to compare the two. The weight of glory, the the wonderfulness, the blessing, all of the, the wonderful things that God has in store for us do not compare to anything that we are going through here and now. See, our suffering is minute. You may say, Brother Ridge, my suffering is not minute. Our suffering is minute, virtually insignificant in comparison to the glory that is established for us in heaven. See, Paul wants us to understand that it's it's a good trade to surrender what you cannot keep in order to keep what you cannot lose. It's a good trade to surrender what you cannot keep in order to keep what you cannot lose. It is better to give up the trinkets of this world than the treasures of heaven. And it's this thought of heaven that gets Paul thinking about uh, groaning. And in verse 19, he talks about the groaning of creation. And he tells us that nature, the created world, is groaning for the day of salvation. All the things that are created around us I mean, we ask this, why? why? Why are they groaning? Why is all of creation groaning for salvation? And verse 20 tells us this, that creation was subjected to futility. <laughs> you know what it is, what futility is? It's frustration. It's frustration. Creation was subjected to frustration, not willingly, but by its own, not willingly by its own choice, it, it just, it was subjected to it, not willingly, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In other words, when sin entered the world, it had a cosmic effect. It affected everything. When sin entered the world, it affected everything. everything. The entire creation was thrown out of balance when humanity sinned. Think about this. Out of balance. No wonder things seem so weird, so upside down. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, it says, Then to Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it. All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because, you, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You see, when man sinned, when humanity sinned, when Adam sinned, all of creation was thrown out of balance. I, I, I think that's huge because, because of Adam's sin, the ground was cursed. Thorns began to, to grow and came upon the earth and, and the harmony and the beauty and the splendor of God's perfect creation was tainted 
it was tarnished. And as God looked at his creation after the fall of man, God could no longer say, it is good. It's been tainted by sin. Do you ever wonder about things like hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and things like that? Do you ever wonder why God created such things? See, I believe that we're taught that God didn't make these things. It's not part of his perfect plan. These things are the result of the imbalance of nature that came about because of sin. You wonder why even in the animal world, animals are so vicious. I mean, have you ever watched the Discover Channel and seen some of those predatory animals and the, the nature of them? And why did God make the world this way? See, I believe that the Bible tells us that he didn't make it this way. It's the result of sin. Creation is the way it is today because of sin. Over in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, it says this. It says, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion with the fatling together, and the little boy will lead them. Also, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, when the effects of sin are removed from our world, the animal world will no longer be predatory. This is a picture of what the world was like before sin entered the world. This is what the world was meant to be, and sin has disrupted the world that God created. You see, we tend to view sin through tunnel vision. We view sin with tunnel vision. And the Bible teaches that there is this ripple effect that, that sin has. And it extends to all of creation itself. And I believe that it is this ripple effect that explains why some people are born with, with physical disabilities. And why others with mental abnormalities. And it's not that these people are being punished or cursed by God. But they suffer because of the imbalance of creation as a result of sin. Think about that. It is sin in our midst that taints everything that we do, that we say. You know, I remember when Tracy was in the hospital with our first child, there was another lady in there who was having, I think it was her fourth child. And Tracy was in the throes of labor and she could not believe that this lady would knowingly go through the pain again. Knowing what she knew. I mean, Tracy was like, you know, is there, is there a problem because... You know, why would she knowingly do this again? But notice, the groaning of nature is like the labor of childbirth. It's painful. It's difficult. But it's also expectant. I mean, why does a mother ever have a second child? It's because of the payoff. A mother will endure the labor of delivery in exchange for the joy that, is in, that they anticipate from the child that they will hold in their arms. And in the same way, the creation endures the, the present subjection in the confidence and hope of the glorious rebirth of God's creation. I mean, the Bible tells us that the earth is going to be purified by fire. 
There will be a new heaven and a new earth and there will be a great harmony or harmonization of nature because God is, is, is <laughs> he's redeeming all of creation back to himself. That is huge. All of creation. Also notice in Romans 8 the groaning of Christians. <laughs> creation is not the only thing that is groaning. As believers, as Christ followers, we groan as well. Verse 23 says, and not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. See, there's a sense in which we could say that we, maybe we should say, we are saved. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are saved. But we are also being saved. And you could also say it this way, we will be saved. So we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And, and those who have received Christ as their Savior, they've been declared not guilty. <laughs> Hallelujah. They've been declared not guilty because Christ has died for us. In that sense, we are already saved. We've accepted Christ. We recognize him as the son of God. And when we stand before God, we are going to be declared not guilty because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Not my good works. Not how much we gave the church. Not this, not that. The, the blood of Jesus Christ. See, the penalty for our sin has been paid in full and we stand not guilty before the throne of God. However, as we read in Romans, uh, we recognize that that. Though we've been declared not guilty, there is still a battle going on inside of us. We're still in the process of gaining victory over sin in our daily living. And in this sense, we are in the process of being saved. We're still learning to live by faith and not by sight. We are learning the hard way that the way of God is always superior to the ways of humanity. You see, our new life in Christ is one of continual need for growth. And there is this third sense that, that we, in which we will not be truly saved until we, we do not have the full benefits of our adoption as a child of God until we get to heaven. And you see, on that day, our sinful nature will be exchanged for the redemption of our body. The old man will finally be done away with. And I will have a new glorified body see the effects of sin will be fully and finally purged from us and then and only then will we have the fullness of new life that we are promised in Christ and Paul tells us right now that that we have a taste of what is to come we have a sampling of it we have just a little bit of what is to come Paul said that God has given us the first fruits of his spirit this is huge because this is a phrase that seems kind of odd to us, the first fruits. What, what are you talking about? But it's, think of it in this way. The first fruits would be like the hired man bringing that first ear of corn in to show the farmer that the crop is ready to bring in. Okay, he's bringing that first ear of corn in. It's the assurance that there is a harvest to come. And God has given that to us. In Ephesians, we are told that the, the Holy Spirit is given 
as a deposit, as a, as a down payment that guarantees our inheritance. So if you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you, that's your foretaste, that's your appetizer, that's the beginning of the harvest, that's the first fruit. And you see, the things that we sense now and, and we taste and we know is only a, a foretaste, a preview of what is to come. See, this, this taste hopefully makes us yearn for a little bit more. You know, sometimes when I'm barbecuing, sometimes people are around there, they're smelling the barbecue, you know, I may, I may cut a little bit off and hand them some. You know why? Because I want them to eat some more. It's a little foretaste, and it gets them yearning for a little bit more. It's like, mm, that was good. Man, there's, there's more to follow? Absolutely. There's more coming. You see, suffering in this world is a continuing reality for our Christian experience. We just need to, we just need to settle that in our mind, that as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm going to have to suffer. We need to endure our suffering considering the glory to come. I mean, we need to remember that we're not alone in this and God's pattern of purpose. God has a purpose. His pattern of purpose is seen in creation as well as in us. Paul tells us that we eagerly await our adoption as sons. And this might sound a little bit confusing. We eagerly await our adoption as sons. And, and you know, we, we get confused by that because we, we read in the paragraphs previous to this that we are already adopted, if you will. We've been adopted as sons of God. And the word adoption in the Roman world was used in a couple of ways. And in one way, they were moved from one family to another. That was the adoption. Moved from one family to another. Or maybe from an orphanage to a family. And we have already been adopted, but there's a second Roman aspect of adoption. The son of a leading Roman family would be acknowledged publicly as the son and the heir. I think this is huge. Kind of corresponds, if you will, to um, the Jewish practice of bar mitzvah. They're coming into their own. Okay? And this is, it's a public acknowledgement that our sonship that is still ahead. <laughs> this is gonna be the time. This is gonna be the time in heaven when we, we stand with Jesus and God announces to all present, I wanna introduce you to my child. Amen. I mean, Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me here, I will be ashamed of you in heaven before my father. This is that time when we're standing there with Jesus and he says, this one belongs to you too. And God says, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. See, Paul says in verse 23, and not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was resurrected, he was resurrected in a real body, a glorified body. So we too will have a resurrected body, a real body. 
We're not going to be a disembodied spirit just floating around. And, 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 but, but we will have a new, <laughs> a perfect, a healthy body that will not decay. And through which we can honor the Lord through all eternity. And you know, this just raises a lot of questions. We wonder about this. You know, it's, it's hard to imagine this kind of body. I mean, how old will I be? I mean, will I be 18 or will I be 80? I'd kind of like to know these things. You know, what kind of body am I going to have? Our heavenly body will not be a body that decays, so it will be ageless. But we ask, well, if that's the case, will we be able to recognize each other? And I believe the answer to that is yes. But we will not recognize, we will recognize each other not so much as what we look like, but we will recognize each other by who we are. We will be known as we are known. The blinders of this world will be gone and we will see people for who they are and not for what they look like. I think that's huge. Because we just can't get past that sometimes. We make judgments about other people. But just as our present body is suited for this present experience, so our new body will be perfectly suited for our heavenly experience. But you know, here down below, we have these aches and pains. And we have those aches and pains now, and our hearts flutter. (laughs) Some of you have conditions where your hearts flutter. You can't stop it. Our organs fail us. Our muscles atrophy. And at times in our earthly bodies, they rebel and and rogue cells attack healthy cells, resulting in various forms of cancer and acquired immune diseases. Brothers and sisters, there is coming a day. There is coming a day when we will be set free from that. There is coming a day when we will be set free from sin, from all of its effects, and from the limitations of these earthly bodies. Folks, this is a promise from the one who is faithful. Let me suggest two things as I wrap this up that we should take away from this passage. The first one is this. We need to understand that groaning is natural. We groan because of sin. Life hurts, and the seeming arbitrary nature of life sometimes doesn't make sense to us. Imagine how difficult it is right now to be in, let's say, Uvalde, Texas. In an area that has been affected and seen unbridled evil. I mean, it's natural to feel weary of that. It's normal for us to wish that it would all stop. And it's normal to say, God, why are you allowing this? You know, when you stand at the, at the graveside of a child, or you watch someone suffer a devastating disease, we can't help but cry out, God, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And in those times, God says, you're right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And we cry out, God, then do something. And he says, I will. I will. Listen, sin has devastating effects. 
Am I saying that the people in South Texas are bad and that's why this is happening? No, that is not what I'm saying. There are just as many Christian people who have been victimized as non-Christians. And it's not the sin of the people of Uvalde that have brought these things about. It is the collective sin of humanity. We live in a fallen world, a world tainted by sin. Is God powerless to stop these things? No. I mean, God could stop these things anytime he wants. However, in his sovereignty, God has chosen to allow us to live with the consequences of the world as it is impacted by sin. He wants us to see the destruction that sin has caused. So that we might learn to hunger for the holiness of the life in God. We see this evil. We want something better. And he says, then follow my son. Put on holiness. Put on purity. Put on these things. See, God wants us to stop clinging to this life and start reaching for the life that is to come. Because when you see the horrible things, the things that happen in this life, rather than despair, we groan. Hunger, hunger for a better day. Hunger for a day when sin will, we won't have to be, be bound by these bodies, we won't have sin. And look for beyond the suffering to the day when suffering will end forever. And second, I would say this, we must not give up. The thing that sustains creation and other human beings is hope. Hope. See, in the Bible, hope is not just a wish. It is a confidence that is anchored in certainty. Hope in the Bible is not like hoping for a pony at Christmas time. Hope in the Bible is a confident expectation. This is going to happen because my father said so. See, it's out of sight. We don't see it. It may be out of our grasp for now, but our hope is sure because of the one who promised, and he is faithful. You see, our hope of eternal life is sure because of Jesus Christ, because he rose from the grave, because he has told us that those who believe in him will live even if we die. See, we must not forget where we are headed. <laughs> we must never forget that this life, this world, is not our home. You know, during the, the, the process of childbirth, in the labor room, the woman is told to focus. If she keeps her focus she will be better able to endure the labor. It's much the same way for each one of us. We have to keep our focus on Jesus Christ. It's good to read about. It's good to think about. It's good to learn to hunger for heaven. I mean, what if? What if we deliberately thought more about heaven? What if we deliberately imagined the new body that will someday be ours? What if we imagined looking in a mirror <laughs> and seeing nothing that we wanted to change? What will it be like to be able to live and enjoy without the fear of disease or death or decay? What if we thought more 
about what redeemed creation would be like. Imagine where there's no, a world where there's no dread of natural disasters. Your Texas Baptist Men Disaster Relief Team would be out of business. Imagine where the, the lion and the lamb could play together. What if we put our focus on the reunion of those that we love? What if we spend more time thinking about and experiencing the love with others we always wished we could have? You know, this last week, Tracy and I, we went to Branson, Missouri and we, to meet her family there. They're here this morning. Thank you all for being here. But on our way, we went through Arkansas, the Ozarks, where my mom is from. And she knew we were going up there, and I was talking with her about it. And she told me that not far from the, the place where she grew up, there was a place called Welcome Home. That's the name of this community. It's not a town. It's just a community. And we were driving through there, and we knew we were getting close then all of a sudden, there's a sign that says, welcome home. And it was just as she said it would be. It was funny because I mentioned that to Tracy. I said, here it is, just like she said, welcome home. What if we dreamt more about the future day when we step through the door of death into eternity and meet the smile of Jesus and his words Welcome home. Just as he said it is. I'll tell you what would happen. If we thought about those things, our life would be transformed. We wouldn't groan. Uh, we, we would groan for the future. We would understand that we have a new perspective, a new joy. And the troubles of this world will no longer seem like mountains. They would seem like Annoying speed bumps on the road to heaven. So lift your head, brothers and sisters. Look up. Because our redemption is drawing nigh. It's coming. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the encouragement of your word. Father, it's so easy for us sometimes to get down. It's easy for us to... Uh, to watch too much news on the, on the television and get upset and, and twisted up about all the things that are going on in our world. But Father, this world is not our home. And I pray, Father, that we would focus on you, that we would keep our eyes clearly on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would keep our eyes on the eternal weight of glory and not on our temporary um, persecutions and sufferings here below. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that you give us to, to walk this journey with other believers. I pray, Father, for just the, the many celebrations going on today as Father's Day and for birthday celebrations. And I pray, Father, that you would just continue to reconcile all of creation back to yourself. And Father, we eagerly await the day when our bodies will be redeemed and our spirit and body will be with you forever in glory. Father, what a day that's going to be. And Father, we have this assurance, knowing that you have promised it, knowing that you are faithful, knowing that, that, that Jesus, you are the one who rose from the grave, and the same power that, that rose Jesus from the grave will raise us on that day. Father, 
what do we need to fear? We don't need to fear anything because you have taken away the fear of death, the fear of sin, and, and Father, the, the, the fear that so easily besets us. Father, may you be glorified in everything that we say, think, and do. Father, help us to focus on you and the redemption that is coming. Lord, we love you and we praise you. I pray today that this day may be someone's day of salvation. Father, guide us as we respond to you. We've heard your word. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.